0: As we all know, serial killers thrive on the rush they get from the kill. But what about a silent assassin who kills randomly and without any seeming motive? How do you stop such a monster? The situation presented itself in Japan in 1985, and police were helpless in their fight against this murderer. Today we discuss the bizarre case of the Japanese vending machine murders. Cast about things. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a- another special edition of Killing Miss and Hidden. I'm your super awesome host, Brad, and as always, I'm bringing the funk and bringing the noise. I'm delighted to have you come visit today. I'm shocked I'm able to record this episode based on how my life has been going the last five days, but my listener babies always come first. Come here, let Daddy give you a hug. So very quickly, I have to give some shout-outs to our newest Patreons. I honestly can't remember if I did this with the first wave when we opened up the Patreon, so I'm just going to cover everybody to make sure no feelings are hurt. So, we've got listeners Suzanne, Misty, Chloe, The Kid, Courtney, Debbie, Emily, And, of course, my mommy chipped in. Thank you all for supporting our podcast. If you want to be among this illustrious group, we can be found at patreon.com slash kmhpodcast. Then just sign over all your worldly possessions to me, and I'll send you a funny cat video once in a while. It's a win-win. All right, let's get to this case. It's a weird little case I've been wanting to cover for a spell. But it's been hard to dig up a lot of credible information, so I kept passing it over. I think I've managed to squeeze enough blood from the stone, though, to make it close to a proper episode. So we go back in time to 1985, where the Atsuka Pharmaceutical Company was looking to boost sales of its popular energy drink, or a C. So they launched kind of this creative campaign where whenever you bought a drink from a participating vending machine, any drink, not one of theirs, you would have a chance to win a free bottle of Oeraman C. As is the culture in Japan, if the customer didn't want the free drink, he or she would leave it behind for someone else to enjoy. But sadly, this kind of created the perfect little setup for a sadistic serial killer. Now, in case you didn't know, Japan is a country kind of dominated by vending machines. Back in 85, there were 5.1 million of these machines lining the streets, and they literally sold everything you could think of. Drinks, of course, bags of rice, whiskey, eggs, milk, even pornographic magazines. That 1.5 million number meant, at the time of our story... There was essentially one vending machine in Japan for every 23 residents. Now, if those machines ever gained sentience and decided that humans must die, I think Japan would have to be the first country to fall, in my opinion. I did look up the numbers today, and the odds are a little bit better for Japan. The ratio of vending machines to residents is 1 to 25. But their population's aging, too. 25% of them are over the age of 65. So really, if you want to take people that are true warriors, the ratio is a lot closer to 1 to 19. It's not looking good, Japan. And don't you love how much math I did for this stupid little scenario I invented in my head? Okay, okay, okay. To the case, to the case. So, April 30th, 1985. The killer struck his first victim. I have a question mark next to his because we don't know who this person is. But it's got to be a guy, right? Guys are always the serial killers. So it's a truck driver in Fukuyama who purchased a tasty beverage from a vending machine and saw that someone had left a free bottle of the Oro-Naman-C on top of the machine. He took it and drank it while he was driving and soon he felt pretty ill. He went to the hospital, and doctors were able to quickly figure out that the source of his sickness was a chemical compound known as paraquat, which is a weed killer that is banned in dozens of countries because it has some, like, mondo serious side effects. Like, if you just accidentally spill some on your skin, you instantly start to blister, And the longer the chemical compound is allowed to sit on your skin, the deeper it will burrow into your skin, like some evil little mite. And it will just burn away your blood vessels as it does so. So it's like back in the 80s, or I guess maybe the 70s, I don't know when it was outlawed, we were spraying this unending fire on plants and crops. Now if you ingest it, like this poor guy did, It does that whole burning thing, but it does it in your mouth, in your throat, in your stomach, any area the chemicals can get to. And it only takes a teaspoon of this stuff to kill someone. And of course, we don't really have a cure for something like that. So this poor truck driver died on May 30th after spending 30 days in agony. I mean, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. That is a nasty Nasty, sadistic way to kill someone, right? Well, fortunately, he was the only victim for about five months. Come September, it happened again. A 52-year-old man in Osaka enjoyed his free drink on September 11th, died three days later. Then a 22-year-old took a free bottle and died two days later. Three more people died from poisoning from these free drinks by the end of that month. October saw four people die in the same way. Two more passed in November. All took free bottles, typically from the dispenser, but some were found on top of the vending machine. Now let me clarify, the poison bottles were not coming, the customer didn't see these bottles being dispensed. They were always bottles that had been left behind. Like I mentioned, this is just a common courtesy in Japan. People didn't think anything of it. Um, It was always these orphan drinks that were the poison ones. And so I guess no good deed goes unpunished or something like that. And, you know, here the punishment is just liquid fire all inside of you. The initial response was for the police to start issue public warnings. The Tokyo police, in particular, spent a lot of time distributing flyers to people, just warning everyone that, look, you don't need to be drinking from anything that's been left in a vending machine. On November 24th, a 17 year old girl died from a poison drink. And after that, the killings stopped as suddenly as they began. Now, ultimately, 12 people died from the poisoning, but we got to note. Another 30 ingested poison but somehow survived. I don't know how, that seems impossible, but they survived. All right, now we'll talk about the investigation, but unfortunately, there isn't a ton to cover. All of these poison drinks came from vending machines that were in remote or quiet locations of the country. This meant police were unable to find anyone who had seen a person tampering with the vending machines. The killer also managed to pick machines that were outside the view of any security cameras. So the person behind this was no dummy. All of the murder victims, except for the very last one, were male. Police theorized that the killer was perhaps targeting machines in areas that were most frequented by men, or targeting drinks that men generally preferred. Now, this was about as far as police could get with some sort of theory, because essentially they had 12 victims who had no connection. And then you throw in the other 30 that were poisoned survived, and it just makes the puzzle that much messier. I mean, these folks were killed indiscriminately in random locations with no obvious connection between them. I mean, one could look at this as sort of a really twisted, messed up game of Russian roulette. Now, one interesting fact that I kind of skipped over is that some of the early poisonings used Daiquat, which is another herbicide. And they were also found in Coke products as well. So we didn't just have the Paraquat and Oranaman C, But that's where it ended with that combination. No one knows why the change in tactics was made, of of course. But, you know, when you don't know why a thing's being done, changes to the thing are hard to guess at. Now, police worked very, very hard on this case, but there was just simply no evidence to be found anywhere. This was before DNA testing was really a thing. And so eventually the case just went cold. And in the year 2000, the statute of limitations expired, meaning the chances of learning who did this, why they did this, or how they did this, are zero. You know, It's very unusual to see a homicide have a statute of limitations, but it exists in Japan, at least when it comes to poisonings. Now, disgustingly, this crime caused a small rash of copycat criminals. For example, some terrible person attempted to poison milk containers that were being delivered to nearby schools. There were a few folks who decided to commit suicide by poisoning themselves in a similar manner that everybody was dying. And at the time, experts theorized Japan was experiencing a wave of thrill killers who enjoyed causing chaos and felt no remorse. It was a fun time to be alive, huh? Now let's put this crime in some context, okay? Now, Japan had just been through another wave of food-based terrorism in 1984 when a group called The Man with 21 Faces Began to try to extort candy manufacturers by claiming they would threaten their pro- they would poison their product if certain demands weren't met. Mainly monetary demands. They went so far, this group, as to put cyanide-laced candies on store shelves, but they clearly labeled each package as being poisoned. The group apparently didn't have a true desire to harm anyone, thankfully. And not a single person suffered an ill effect from this group's efforts. During our vending machine crime wave, the man with 21 faces actually sent a letter to police stating, look, we've got nothing to do with this. And I tend to believe that because there's no evidence that any drink company received any sort of extortion letters or that the killer behind this sought to profit from his crime, when it's very clear that's what the man with 21 faces was trying to do with their whole candy shenanigans. That same year, 1984, Japan had to contend with wine imports from Austria that were found to be contaminated with antifreeze. So the mid-80s were just not a good time to be enjoying Japanese foodstuffs. And of course, we had in the U.S. in 1982, the Tylenol poisonings that you may have heard of. What's interesting in comparing the Tylenol poisoning case to this vending machine case is in the United States, the government, shockingly, kind of acted quickly and passed regulations that said, look, if you're going to manufacture a drug, you have to put that safety seal on the bottle. You know, they forced companies to change the way they designed pill bottles. But in Japan, the bottling companies blamed the victims and refused to redesign the way they bottled their drinks. A spokesperson for the Japan Soft Drink Bottlers Association went on record saying, and I'm quoting here, if only consumers were more cautious, then they would have seen that some tampering had been done. What a crappy response. I mean, that's like saying, you know, I'm sorry so many people died, but they should have known better than to trust how we bottle things. What a tool. Okay, now that being said, even though the bottlers were being pricks, the vending machine companies tried to be the good guys, and they were a bit proactive. They printed and circulated 1.3 million stickers warning about this threat, and had them posted on their machines. Coincidentally, or maybe not, these stickers went up in November, right when the poisoning stopped. So the timing there is... curious, huh? Okay, so let's talk theories on this case. And we're done. No, seriously... (laughs) I mean, we don't have much to work with here, do we? We can, we can squeeze a little bit from what we've got, but since police weren't able to recover any evidence, we're as blind as anyone else on this one, right? But here's kind of my thinking on it. And if you disagree, please let me know your thinking. The drinks that were targeted, that Orinam C, these were health and energy drinks. Energy drinks that were targeted towards middle aged men. So, this suggests, at least to me initially, that the killer was much more interested in targeting men. They wanted the men to die, they they weren't interested in going after women. Now, I'm going to wildly speculate on this point because I understand different cultures do different things. I've got no facts to back me up. I wasn't smart enough to research this before I started recording this episode, but, but, I'm going to assume this is a parental thing, not just an American thing. I would assume that girls are probably brought up being warned more than boys about leaving food and drinks unintended, Um you know, to guard against the risk of accidentally being drugged, especially if they went out drinking and things like that. So, if my ramblings are correct, that would suggest women would probably be less likely to take a free drink left in a vending machine than a man. And this would also help explain why so many victims of this killer was a man. And it's interesting to note, too, to me that the only female death was of a teenager. Possibly, possibly parents hadn't had that talk with her yet. She didn't know the dangers of messing with the drink they had found. Whereas I would expect older women to know the risks. Now, I've read some suggestions and some of the sources I linked in the show notes. I always have show notes, as you know. And from some of the forums or less trustworthy websites that in Japan, because of the intense stress businessmen are under to provide a good life for their families and all that jazz, it's really not unheard of for them to reach some sort of snapping point during their career. That doesn't mean they go on killing sprees, of course. But this could be one possible way that someone released the pressure they were feeling. So, I'm going to paint you a picture. And admittedly, it's a very weak picture. I'm talking so weak, it's... Do you remember being in, like, kindergarten or first grade, and you got watercolors that were really nothing more than these sticks... I mean, these stones that were paint, you know that were red and yellow and blue, and you'd put some water on them, and then you'd take your brush and you'd put it on the page, and there'd just be that faintest hint of a blue sky, you know, or, or a, a a green tree. It wouldn't really show up. It was just like this hazy suggestion that a color may have once resided there. That's the picture I'm painting here, so take it at that. Here's my killer profile, okay? I think it was a younger businessman who had some sort of recent setback in his career and snapped in a Joker-esque one bad day moment that caused him to want to take revenge on those who had wronged him in his eyes, which would be middle managers, upper managers, middle-aged men, right? Okay. Fresh in his mind is the whole panic that was caused by the man with 21 faces, the wine debacle. Maybe he was familiar with what was happening in the U.S. and the Tylenol things from a few years ago. And he analyzed the situation. He said, wait, if just from threatening to poison candy, you can cause all this fear and chaos, how much damage could I do by actually poisoning people at our ever-popular vending machines. Now, the fact that herbicide was used to do this killing suggests to me that our boy here either worked for a chemical company that produced these herbicides, or he had training in botany or chemistry, or... He came from humble beginnings growing up on a farm and was able to kind of break free from that life into something, quote, better, giving him some familiarity with herbicides. I suspect his first victim comes from a vending machine that our killer was very familiar with, and that's why he started there. He, he wanted success in a safe environment. And once he had that, that's when he starts bouncing around the country. Now, most of the deaths occurred in Western Japan, and he continued spreading this chaos until we have a female victim, right? Now, perhaps this fella has a little girl at home, or he has some sort of perverted code of honor, but regardless, he decides that killing women is unacceptable, He's tried to mitigate that risk, he failed, so he stops. He re- re-evaluates his, th- his thinking and decides, you know what, look at all the chaos I've caused, that's good enough for my revenge. Plus, he may have been smart enough to know that the longer this game goes on, the more likely it is to get caught, so he ends the revenge tour and perhaps tries to rebuild his life in a normal way. Again, again, this is 101% speculation on my part. It's not supported by any direct evidence. It's just one possibility out of millions, I'm sure, but that's what the one that speaks to me. And with that, I'm kind of out of things to say on this one. Um, it's certainly one of the strangest serial killings I've ever heard of. A uh, small part of me is shocked the dude was never caught, but with such little known evidence it would take essentially a miracle for police to be able to make an arrest. So, since I'm out of things to say, I'm going to move on to our palate cleanser. Here we go. Speaking of health drinks, I was actually fired from a company that made canned juices. Apparently, I didn't concentrate enough. You get it? Canned juices? Concentrate? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I even tied it to what we're talking about today. God, I'm good. Okay, we're going to wrap this one up. As always, please do something nice today. Donate to a charity. Or adopt a dog from a shelter. Or just anything else that's nice. Even if it's just buying yourself a new toy for you. Because, you know, you can't really make others happy until you're happy. So go make yourself happy, because I cannot stand the thought of any of my listeners being unhappy. That's why I managed to scrape this episode together, despite dealing with the nonsense of the past five days. You deserve it, and I'm here bringing it to you. As always, be good. Thank you so much for listening. Please share our show with your friends. Know that we love you. And with that, Brad out. Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.